Welcome to the Path and Focus podcast, where we record ourselves building a wildfire technology company. I'm your host, Jonathan Powers, former software developer turned entrepreneur, and my guest today is Bruce Morrow. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, uh, Bruce, I've been in Kamloops since 1986. I've uh, got 40 years in the fire, wildfire suppression and fuel management and prescribed fire business. Uh, professional forester for three decades now mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and a great just a basic outdoor guy I, I fish and I hike and I bike and I uh, hang out in my cabin wherever possible so nice are you downhill or are you uh, cross-country uh, I'm a two tires down getting old no injuries mantra so I'm a, I'm a cross-country kind of guy yeah nice <laughs> yeah, that downhill stuff scares me I've been over the handlebars too many times oh. and I got Cricks here and cricks there that, uh, yeah, just can't can't have any more. They they, they hurt and they get a long time to recover. It was uh, it was a funny not funny but it was an interesting question. We we were showing off a beacon to non professional people, just showing them what it does. And they had lots of questions and people were asking asking about recreational activity in forested areas and if if danger ratings affect any recreational activity. The legislation doesn't seem to indicate that it does. No, uh, it's it's sort of on periphery. Like they will do fire bans based on yeah. danger class. Yeah. Right. And and there are actually actual full closures at some times of yeah. forest to backcountry people. And again, based on danger class, same sort of concepts, but it's not written in stone in um, in the fire regulations. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was a, it was an interesting question that somebody brought up. They asked because uh, they were going to go out and do some shooting, like just take their rifles and do some target practice, not at a range, just out in the woods. Um, and then they weren't sure if they should do that because it's a gun and uh, not at a gravel pit, just like out in the trees. And they, they were like, what should, should we do? They decided not to, which I think was wise. Yeah, uh, good, but... good call. <laughs> if, if they're shutting down, uh, you know, loggers because they might be uh, starting fires, well, they're probably firing guns off in the, <laughs> yeah. in the forest. It's probably, you know, something, something you might uh, reconsider. Yeah, good, good call, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we've got this app. Beacon, which uh, helps people like yourself or anybody that you might advise who does high-risk activity go and determine if it's safe to do so and if there are any current work restrictions. Like uh, I like pulling up, so this is something that I've discovered. So Salmon Arm, I pull up Salmon Arm, say, and uh, yesterday it was high, like five, and it had been four or five days of high of five. Um, Interesting, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, yeah, you can go to Salmon Arm. This is in the valley. You know this. Yep. Um, but then, if you go to Sycamus, the Sycamus station is going to show a very different picture, even though they're like, what, 30 yeah, no, kilometers I, apart? Yeah, no, less than that. Yeah, probably 20, 25 kilometers apart. Exactly. So, weather stations is not necessarily the one close to you. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of factors, and that's one of the gray areas of this whole fire danger assessment system is... You know which station to use, and you say these two like Sycamus is in low, and it was in three yesterday, and, and Salmon Arm was in five, 20 kilometers apart. Um, that could be a lot of that's to the elevation. Sycamus weather station is a lot higher. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and also aspect. Like if you're on a uh, north aspect, and the, which doesn't get much sun this time of year, um, you're gonna have a low, much lower score than a south aspect. So, um, so you have to tie your activity location to a weather station that, that's representative, not necessarily the closest one, yeah. one that's actually representative to what you're doing. So that elevation and um, 
aspect or two of the biggest factors. Latitude also play, plays plays a role, but those two, that elevation aspect, the two you have to really yeah, think about. Interesting. And there's no really there's no really good set system in, in determining that. Um, a lot of times, if you're working in the forest industry, you got to ask the person you're working for, what station do I use? So then, basically, they're they're deciding what conditions you're allowed to work under, and also their liability. Then, if someone makes a mistake, as mm-hmm. opposed to yourself, you say, "Oh, I'll just use the closest one." Well, if you're in, uh, so say, good example, you're in uh, working at the top of the Coquihalla at 1,200 meters. Closest weather station is going to be Merritt, which is at 400 meters. Completely different world, mm-hmm. and it, it made station maybe eight kilometers away does not tell you whatsoever what you're doing. Right. Right. So you have to be really careful as far as the, the choice of your weather stations. And usually the best the way to do that is to get whoever your customer is, whoever you're working for as a contractor to say, hey, what station do I use? Yeah. yeah. And then, 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 then they, the onus is on them to, to find the proper accurate data. So as a hypothetical, like, do you know, do you know Salmon Arm and Sycamus fairly well? Yeah. I used to live there. You bet. Oh, sweet. So if you're, if you're like, uh, you know, just north of, say north of Sycamus a little bit, right in the valley, um, and you're, I don't know which mountain this is on, uh, but uh, you're uh, owl, within a couple I think, of I think kilometers. I think it's on Owl, actually, yeah. So, anyway, so up, yeah, up, yeah up, within owl, a couple yeah. kilometers of this Sycamus station, mm-hmm. and you pull this up and you say, oh, it's it's low, um, would you use that station? I'd be wary yeah, because the liability is massive. Because yeah. if I go there and the court decides you should use another station, mm-hmm. you use Salmon Arm, and you should not have been working. Yeah. You could be fully liable for whatever, whatever cost you incurred. So if you did start a fire, yeah, and that fire, and you could be totally caught liable for all those fire costs because you were working under conditions you weren't allowed to be working yeah. under. Yeah. Well, you, you broke the welfare regulations, therefore you're liable for what activities. And your insurance company is probably going to say, "Oh boy, we didn't insure you for working outside your, yeah. outside the yeah. welfare rigs." So you could be on the hook personally, or the company for all the costs hmm. associated with that fire. And in some cases, also the damage to the timber. There's actually that go after you for the cost of the timber. Oh, interesting. So well. not just the cost of fighting, but the, yeah, the but loss it, of you it wipe out somebody's timber. Wow. You could be responsible for that as well. Holy crap! Yeah. Oh yeah. Holy, exactly. That's that's understatement. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. You got to yeah. pay attention. This this is this is a great app because it, it provides right now. Boom. Choices. Um, but I say the choice is also limited by which station you use. Don't want to say. Don't want to scan through. Flick the station. Yeah. Oh, here's one that works for me. I'll use this one. Yeah. That's not a game you want to play. It's, no, it's a very, no, very no. dangerous game. So you want it. So how do you find determine that one? And we've talked about that in the past. And you might, I think, it'd be great. This app in the future it gives you okay. These three stations are close to you, and you can pick the one. That's yeah, why you, yeah. the app's not saying use this because then the liability <laughs> yeah. burden might, might yeah. carry somewhere else. But at least you're giving in the three ones that are most logical based on elevation, latitude. We talk about biogeoclimatic zones as well in the forest industry. Um, which can give a, it's a great indication of of, of weather conditions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's a lot going on, but this app really really shortens the whole process in, in determining where where you can what you should be doing and what, what station conditions should be working underneath. Yeah, thank you. That's I mean that's the goal. I'm curious a little bit of of like just hearing <laughs> hearing you say that um, you know liability not just for putting out the fire but any timber that has burned. Are there other cases that you're aware of that that have gone through the courts or uh, fire costs? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think the timber would not be would be might be a. Uh, oh yeah. So the, yeah, timber would probably be uh, a civil C- civil suit. civil yeah. suit. I, Got I, it. I would I would suspect. I, I'm again not not a lawyer, but yeah. I know there yeah. is. There is ability to go after for for, yeah. for actual value of timber losses as well. And have you, you know, seen have you seen some uh, the cost of putting out the fire? 
Oh yeah, it's uh, going to be ten, fifteen thousand dollars a hectare. So if you have, if you cut this fire across a hundred, that, that spreads a hundred hectares, you could be in, in on a hook for half a million bucks with without even without even blinking. Wow. Air tankers can cost you five to six thousand dollars per drop. So they start bringing in air tankers and 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 you got two weeks of three weeks of firefighting crews. Yeah, it, it can lead to millions. I mean, BC spent five hundred million dollars or more this year on fires. Wow. So it's 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 not a drop in the bucket. It yeah. can be uh, it can be a difference between having a company done and yeah. uh, and uh, yeah. you know out in the street very 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 quickly. So yeah, what I like about the app is it gives you what the restrictions are today. Yeah, and also tells you the, the duration. Thing comment is on what they expect to happen in the future. So yeah. if it hits you hit danger class five, it's been really hot for six seven days in a row. Hit danger class five in the area you're at. It's going to tell you that, geez, you better be planning to shut down real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't plan to work till Friday. If it's Monday, you're not going to make it till Friday. Yeah. You're going to have to shut down sometime this week. So planning for a consultant or a contractor or someone with heavy equipment really helps that planning process. That okay, looks like this job's going to shut down on Tuesday. How we manage our resources yeah. Yeah. as best we can. And also, what are we going to do? You know, Okay, we need to have somebody around for a, for a fire watch beyond the activity. So we need extra pickups. We need somebody else who's going to have to look at the look at the whole site when we're when we're doing our fire watch so mm-hmm. there, there's there's logistics that come into play this 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 app speeds up so dramatically so in the past how have you how like you you're fairly familiar with doing these kinds of these yeah kinds of I, I, every job i do in the fire season you have to watch for the wildfire rigs everyone is obligated to follow the wildfire regulations under the wildfire act in in british columbia so if you everyone works in the forest yeah. And, and does a high-risk activity, which basically means if you're running heavy equipment, you're going to um, dig in the ground, you're going to uh, weld. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a list of high-risk activities under welfare regs. There's about 20 of them. They, they specify when you can do, yet when you can work and when you can't work, mm-hmm. and what conditions you're allowed to do that in. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're a high-risk activity, which means basically heavy equipment use, yeah, yeah. And, or, or fixing heavy equipment or maintaining heavy equipment in the bush, and um, you're working in or beside a forest, you have to comply with the welfare rigs. So a lot of people don't appreciate that. I was driving through uh, one of the local communities here during the peak of the, of the extreme heat, and I see a guy out digging a, right in the, uh, up on the hillside, digging a uh, foundation for a house in the forest. Mm. And no way, <laughs> every piece of equipment in BC is shut down because of fire hazard, and he's out there oblivious. If he started a fire, big trouble. So everyone, everyone who, who deals, works, in, in or adjacent to a forest has to uh, respect the welfare regs, comply with the welfare regulations. And, and a lot of people don't appreciate that. F- forest industry is good. They're all used to it. We've been doing it yeah. for decades. Uh, a lot of the other people aren't. The pipeline guys were kind of shocked they couldn't go to work. Yeah. I, I, dealt, I dealt with some of those headrights and special, some um, exemptions for them. And um, they were shocked that oh, they, could, they couldn't do whatever they wanted. And uh, and just it's, it's just not fully understanding. Why do you think, why do you think that uh, a lot of these a lot of these organizations and folks don't don't know that this is something that applies to them. Uh, I, I think there's there's no excuse not knowing the law. <laughs> I yeah, think, but yeah. I think a lot of the people they haven't had to, had to deal with it. I mean, it's only um, higher risk activities, which heavy equipment during the fire season. So you work in November, who cares? You work in December, January, February, March, who cares? Yeah, yeah. right. It's not something that you have to do all the time. And I think a lot of people schedule equipment. We're going to build this. We're going to start May 1st. And we're going to finish this job August 31st. And that's our schedule. We're going to stick to it. Right. And 
fire hazard doesn't really come into it. And some years it's not a, not an issue. Like yeah. in 19, yeah. 2019, 2020, boy, there's no significant fire hazard. I mean, I don't think we lost a single day in the bush. We worked all summer. Oh, wow. And yeah. whereas this year we lost 60 days. Yeah. Uh, it's a full two months of just absolutely no chance we could go to work. Is that, I mean, there's some aspect of climate change that I think is, is driving this, right? Like, are we seeing more more days uh, more days where there's no opportunity to work in the bush? Yeah, absolutely we are. Yeah, yeah. We, we certainly are. And, and is that is that like, I mean, this season felt, felt intense. Like, yeah. it was just all in the news. Everybody was paying attention to it. It felt like everybody was talking about, I mean, this smoke doesn't help. The evacuations mm-hmm. um, were awful and you know there's there's a lot of loss of uh, life unfortunately in this in this fire season but it felt like a really intense fire season um and then 2017 2018 was also quite intense but before that like did anyone did it really matter like the legislation is there but did it actually need to yeah well you want to go back to my career uh well i'll just go back let's go back 20 years 2003 successes fire season 2005 7 8 uh, 10, 12, 15, and 17, 18, 21. Yeah. Those are all fire seasons that are very significant. Yeah. That happens to be 2017, 18, 21 are the three worst ever. Yeah. Now, why is that? Well, there's going to be a bunch of reasons why that is. And you mentioned climate change. Climate change? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question that things are becoming more. So we're getting, we're getting longer droughts. There's no, no question. Um, but uh, climate change is a bit of an oxymoron. It's always been changing. Right, but it changes typically changes in very slow. I mean, over over millions of years, yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands of years, climate climate evolves and changes. Um, but what we're seeing is very extreme changes in a very short period of time. Yeah, um, bunch of reasons for that. I don't fully understand all of them, but we're we're in basically an interglacial period right now, um, which is we know we're going to be warm and dry. That's 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 the stage and where where we're at in, in the in the in the climate sort of evolution. And it, they, these, these, from my understanding, these, these, these interglacial periods last every 10, 12,000 years quite often. So we're in a halfway through one of those. So we're going to be expect to be warm and dry. Um, so we're not, ice ages, the 15, like 18,000 years ago, the last yeah, ice age yeah. came through, we're not expecting one of those for quite a while. But that, that like, you, you, you said that, like, that, that's changing quickly and rapidly. Yeah, like, well, is that catching people by surprise? And yeah, they're, you know, now, they're not used to even having to think about this because yeah, it never yeah. applied to them. And so this, so I think these changes, there's something else going on, right? Not just climate normally mm-hmm. changing. Yeah, yeah. We get extremes. We've had extremes before. There's yeah. no question. Um, but uh, certainly seems that it's probably CO2 driven. Yeah. Because um, you look at the the historical, the, the the glacial samples they take that go back two million years. And we don't see these interglacial periods tied to, to high CO2 levels. Yeah, yeah. And now we're having high CO2 levels as well as these the warm interglacial periods so that those two together are ma- magnifying things apparently yeah, yeah. And again i'm not a i'm not a i'm a i'm a fire ground i'm a fire <laughs> grunt i'm not a, uh, a a climate scientist but those those but i read a lot about it and those things seem to be going to there so our co2 contributions to the atmosphere are definitely have helping these little peaks the peaks get a little bit bigger yeah yeah and uh so far, and as far as the climate world, we've really been back to fires. We've really been getting sort of less cold over the t- over the last yeah. the last few decades. Yeah. Not really haven't reset too many extreme temperatures, but we've getting less cold, which brings the average temperature up. And that less cold also means our 
our bugs, our, all the things that eat our forests, all the thing, all the insects and, and, and disease stuff, they all do very well mm-hmm. because they don't get the winter kill-offs. So one of the things that driving this, these fire seasons is also the fact that we've had this pine beetle epidemic that yeah. came through BC yeah. for a 15-year epidemic, killed roughly 2 billion cubic meters of timber. Wow. So two, that's the number, yeah, 2 billion is, is the number, most common number you hear. Uh, affect a third of the province. A third of the province had pine beetle impacted. Yeah. Um, and now this stuff is all, we log so what much as we could. I mean, you go to the caribou and you go, wow, big clear cuts. Well, it was 100% dead, so yeah, yeah. we're kind of stuck with yeah. use it or lose it. But we've only logged a small fraction of yeah. it. And the rest has fallen over. And now it's lying in the bush, these pickup sticks, giant-sized pickup sticks across millions of hectares of timber in BC. So we call, in the firefighting, we call this fuel load. So now we've gone from a fuel load, which was typically maybe eight to 30 tons per hectare of stuff on the ground that could burn dry stuff on the ground and burn a fire. Now we've gone to numbers that exceed 150 tons per hectare. So five to 10 times more than we used to have before the pine beetle came yeah. through. So we're in this situation where we've got, when the fires do get going, now we've got five to 10 times more fuel on the ground than we used to. Dry, elevated, ready to burn. And so when that stuff gets going, we don't have the physical ability to stop it. 100 tons per hectare of dry ground stuff is burning. We can't, we can't stop it. We don't have the ability. It's too hot to get close to. Our air tankers don't work. We have to go back way back and build guards and try and burn against, to burn, to burn to stop the fire from burning. Yeah, yeah. Very complex, very tricky. Yeah. Uh, it's more an art than a science. And we're stuck doing that kind of thing and not very successfully, unfortunately. So yeah, so we got some issues. Yeah, so th- those issues make make the fires worse, mm-hmm. no question. And the other one, we said this tipping point all seems to be fire suppression itself makes worse fires, if you can believe it. So we put out in BC probably ninety percent of fires before they get bigger than this this room. Yeah. Yeah. So most fires are most fires aren't bigger than a half a hectare before we put them out. So we stop that usual low yeah. intensity fire. So yeah. we do that in March. We do that in October as well. So these low intensity fires that would start put around, burn up some of this stuff, clean things up a little bit. Nature's way of cleaning things up, and create these we call a mosaic of you know the stuff here got this burnt last year over here burned this. So a big fire comes through, bumps into these areas that were already burnt, slows down, doesn't burn as hot. Right. So suppression. We've we've definitely stopped that. We stopped that whole process. So while so. Normal, normal firefighting fire ecosystem process is has been basically halted. So now everything builds up. We put these fires out, and the tr- all trees grow. When we people talk about not how many trees in BC, we've got a lot of trees, but they're all clumped together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so stands that used to around cows used to support 200 to 400 trees per hectare now often have 3,000 to 4,000 trees per hectare instead. Wow. So and they're all young, and they're all competing for the same same moisture and same same nutrients. So they're weak because there's there's too many trees. They're, they're uh-huh. stressed, and a lot of them die. Like I'll go into a stand around cantaloupes where I do a lot of my work, and you know forty percent of the trees are dead. Dead. So they be obviously out competed. They could just too many trees. Fire would come through and pick those off, clean them up. You know every five or six years or every fifteen years, whatever the cycle was. Now it doesn't happen. So they build up, and so every eighty years, when the fire does come through there, it's got three or four times more fuel again to burn. Mm-hmm. And so now these fires are hot. Now they kill every tree. Instead of they used to kill, clean up the dead ones and stuff and the weaker ones, now the fires are so hot that everything dies. So we get these, these massive crown fires and far, far more higher intensity fires. 
So that's, that's again, driving, driving uh, our fire suppression drives fires fewer, far bigger and far tougher and far more intense than we have in the past. Hmm. So yeah, we hit this tipping point where climate change for sure, pine beetle wood on the ground, again, climate change issue, and then fire suppression itself, all those things seem to come to right now is almost the perfect storm. And uh, so we get this extreme weather conditions, oh, which we've yeah. had this year, yeah. we're just, we're in, we're in trouble. The fourth thing that's sort of on top of that is fire resources. Fire resources are very limited. Yeah. And we don't do a good job in BC of coordinating all the pension resources. Forest industry is broken into government staff, which is the wildfire service staff. You know, they got 1,200 full-time people and, yeah. and, a, and a whole bunch of seasonal people. And there's the industry, which is the loggers and the, and the mills, the licensees, and then the consultant business. Those, those, three, thing, those three areas control the whole, ma- manage the whole forest industry. Um, wildfire service does not utilize the industry and the consultants very well. Um, they like to do it themselves whenever they can, which is great in a year like 2019, 2020, 2021, they need thousands of people. Yeah. And we don't do a good job coordinating those thousands of people to get out there fast and put these fires out. Yeah. It's not a question of stopping fire suppression. When we saw it happen, we do fire suppression, we lose houses, we lose, people lose, lose their rangeland, they uh, lose their fences, they lose their ability to raise cows and stuff, and they, and they really hearts hurt the rural areas. Yeah. And, yeah. and people, yeah, people are losing, losing the structures and unfortunately a couple of lives this year. Yeah. So we can't stop fighting fires. We just got to do a hell of a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And we're not really doing that very well in BC these days. So, hmm. yeah. So it's a complicated situation. It's a complicated. Yeah. The more state. fires we've put out, the worse the fires get. <laughs> it's it's a real it's a it's a tough. But one. you can't let them burn. But you can't you can't stop putting them out. <laughs> we just got to do it better. And we also have to start managing our forests based on fire. Mm-hmm. Right now we manage our forests called on the Forest Range and Practices Act, FERPA, a Forest Range and Practices Act, and it's got 12 values to manage for. None, none of them, fire is not included. Right. So we have to start managing, okay, because we, now we, in our dry belt forest, we better manage these forests a bit better, we're gonna lose them all. Yeah. We're not finding the fires. We've got about 800,000 hectares of, you know, 1% of BC burnt this year, 1% of BC, 1, 1.5% burnt in 18, 1% burnt in uh, 17. We start adding those up, and that's, it's a lot of area. That takes a. That doesn't take long for one percent to add up to all of it. Yeah, that, that's 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 three and a half four percent of BC burnt in in five years. Yeah, you know we can't we can't keep doing this. Yeah, if we want a forest industry, if we want elk peaks, we want to grow trees. We can't keep doing this. So we got to manage our fires, our forests better. Got to manage them for fire. Mm-hmm. The fire system is moving far faster than we are as far as make as far as change our acts and change, and changing how we manage our forests. Were Were you surprised about what happened this season? I mean, I don't I don't know that anyone predicted the heat wave that we were going to have, but um, or I don't expect you to have predicted that. Yeah. But like, were you surprised at the outcome that we had this year? Uh, slightly. Um, I think it was so bad this year. I mean, we've had these smoke events before, like seventeen, eighteen huge yeah. smoke events, but they weren't concentrated in the Okanagan where we live. Yeah. And we, it, it was, you know, there was a, you know, Vanderhoof got nailed with smoke, but there's a pretty small population up there. I was supposed to, a lot of these fires here were close to, much closer to, to developed areas. And that's why we, we sort of feel yeah. we, got, we got more, more yeah. smoke because yeah. they're actually right around us as opposed to in, you know, north, north, you know, west yeah. of Quinnell, huge fire west of Quinnell. Well, it doesn't really affect us nearly as much as, as it has. So that's part of the way we feel in so much. I think three or five years as well, people just getting tired. I mean, I don't know you, I live for summer. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely live for summer and I, 
and I hardly wait the summer to beg in the summer to end. Go yeah. away, please yeah. go away. And that's just that's just bad. Yeah, that's, that's three of the last five years. It's just it just upsets the soul. Like that's it, the it same does. for us. Like just I'm so excited for this part of the year right now because it's still warm enough that you can be outside in shorts, um, but you don't have the smoke. Yeah, exactly. So praying for falls and is not into my oh. genetic makeup. <laughs> I'd say summer lasts all as long as I possibly can, and then yeah, and that's not that's the way it's happened through the last five years. So I think it's uh, just a constant. And then of course we will have to mention COVID and stuff, and you know oh, just yeah, one just... thing on top of the other, right? And uh, so it's it's just it just seems to be yeah, compounding things for sure. Um, was I surprised? Well, not really, because we knew in the, from March on we knew we got twenty percent of the normal moisture. So we knew we were dry already. Yeah. And that heat dome thing that just put us over the top. Yeah. And uh, and really got. And that came like that came at the end of an already dry. Like oh that, yeah, it, we'd we'd had we'd we were already in a drought by the time that thing yeah, that came along. Yeah. And that was just the just the peak of it. We do some work with um, with cattlemen's, and uh, they were saying that just you know just the 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 grazing the the. I'm gonna call it fuel, not fuel. The grass that they had, they you know they expected some of that to go till June in most seasons. And this year, like it was done in April and May, just yeah, so, so like, dry and yeah. So the, the the dryland farmers in the Okanagan, the dryland uh, um, hay guys in in the uh, sort of the caribou, and uh, boy, just got hammered. Yeah, there was just, there was nothing. I mean, some guys are here. I talked to a guy yesterday. So he got ten percent of his uh, normal hay, ten percent of what he usually Gosh. gets. And a lot of guys I know the rancher up. Close to where my cabin is in the caribou, yeah, they got less than half. Wow, you know, less than, and so all, and the, so the price of hay has gone through the roof. And if you can find it, and uh, yeah, it's a real challenge. The guys in the valley bottoms with the irrigation, they're doing really well because they can they, they got the beautiful weather for growing hay, and then they got unlimited water. So, so it was a real dichotomy, that real mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, but some people really took it really hard, and, huh. and then cattle said the cattle are. Are, are struggling as well because well the one that wasn't much water out there guys you know out, out in the range and limited very limited grass growth and i'm worried about this fall for bears and stuff because the the berries out there, there's no berries uh waxberry and on and the rose hip there's oh, not they're, they're really small very very small if they can find them at all so this that that fatten up food for the hibernation for bears stuff it's not there so yeah expect to see them in the valley bottoms looking for other stuff something to eat so yeah, it's 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 tough. It, yeah. But I say that I've seen most of the deer I've seen. I, I'm out in the bush three days a week at least, and uh, deer seem in good shape. So they they've they've managed to be okay. Oh, good. Like, I mean, I'm sure they're eating on the north slopes and the higher elevations and stuff, and that seems to be seems to seems to look all right. The black bears I've saw a couple last week, shiny and black and yeah. good coats. So hopefully they're they've adapted and found found enough to uh, keep them going. Huh. But the late fall stuff is going to be tough. That pre-hibernation food is going to be very scarce mm-hmm. for them, unfortunately. Um, some other thoughts that you wanted to discuss? I think the key is high-risk activity, so people are out there. And I think maybe the public should talk think about that too. I mean, yeah. you got a uh, bush is shut down because the loggers can't work with the heavy equipment. Maybe that eight, old ATV you got that rattles and bangs around maybe isn't, isn't the right piece of equipment to be used on the forest either. Yeah. There's no one saying I can't, but it makes sense to, uh, to do your part. Eh? Yeah, there's a little bit of personal responsibility in all yeah. of this. Yeah. The last thing is uh, when you do see a fire, you're obligated by law to report it. We have to get oh. a report. Oh. So oh, uh, really? star 5555, 1-800-663-5555. So yeah, so you see a fire, you think, oh yeah, a bunch of other people probably seen it too. 
Oh, I won't bother. Yeah, bother. <laughs> yeah, make, make the effort because everyone else is saying something. Oh yeah, it's so obvious. Everyone's everyone's seen that fire. But you know what? I I phoned in probably in my life probably eight or nine. Yeah. And I think two or three haven't been new. Oh wow. Yeah. Because yeah. people see them. Oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's probably just a fire. Huh. Everyone everyone's everyone knows about it because it's so obvious. But if hundred people say, think the same thing and don't bother hitting your hitting your phone star five 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 and it takes one minute to report it and extremely important yeah that's that's awesome uh well thanks so much for taking some time to sit down and chat my uh, pleasure is there uh if somebody wanted to get a hold of you for whatever reason how might they find you ah bruce morrow forest consulting i think comes i, I pop up here and there bruce so, morrow forest consulting yep Perfect. and in cantaloupes here and uh yeah it's been a forest industry has been very good to me so hope to be very good to people as well so. yeah good uh, this has been the Path and Focus podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll chat with you next week.